Welcome to Critics on a Bus, your favourite film review podcast, with me, your host, Cameron. Hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to a new episode of Critics on a Bus. Welcome to 2022. And welcome to my wife, Ashling, back to the podcast. Hello. 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 You requested we review a movie today. What movie have you requested that we review? I have requested that we review Encanto. Encanto. The new Disney film. Yes, the new Disney film. uh, Say new is the latest, I guess, Disney film now. It's been out for, it came out in the UK in November, I think, mid-November. And then it had and then I had a Disney Plus release on December 24th, just in time for Christmas. So hopefully lots of people listening watched it during the Christmas break. And then you've come to this review. Yeah. So, Encanto, Disney movie, who do we know is in it? What are the big names? Who is the draw for us? So, um, Encanto is yet another film by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, he worked partially on the the story and also was a big one of the lead writers for the music of this film. Some notable cast names is Stephanie Beatrice, who is probably best well known for playing Rosa in Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, she also starred in In the Height, which was another Lin-Manuel Miranda film, which came out in the summer of 2021. She played Carla, one of the salon ladies. In, in the Heights. There is also John Leguizamo, I hope I'm saying that right, who played Tybalt in the Leonardo DiCaprio version of Romeo and Juliet. I forget who directed it. Ba- Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann, that's the one <laughs> in, in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And he is probably also best known, at least to our generation, for being the voice of Sid the Sloth. <laughs> so... It's a sad um, commentary that that's what our generation does <laughs> us, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think I think everyone else is relatively probably well known in the Hispanic community. Possibly, um, yeah. Possibly, um, but most of them, this is their big Hollywood break, I guess you could say, Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just Stephanie Beatrice and John Leguizamo um, are the two probably bigger names. Because this film has been out a while, how did it do box office wise what was the the takings for them um it's done pretty well um it grossed about 90 just over 91 million dollars in the u.s and then globally in its other territory of releases it grossed 115.7 million so just over 207 million total which is pretty good cool okay and do you have a fun fact about this film yeah so i found out my fun fact about this film is that uh, Mirabelle, who is the lead character in the film, is the first female lead in an animated Disney film to wear glasses. Oh. Yeah, so they've had tons and tons of female leads, because billion and one Disney princess films, but she is the first one to wear glasses. There's only like two other kind of lead characters in Disney films who ever worn glasses, and they were both male characters and generally smaller characters as well. So. Wow. Disney family Random. representing with some glasses. <laughs> yeah, um, as someone who's had glasses since I was like, I don't know, seven. <laughs> this film truly is about representation. <laughs> <laughs> there, I found a, I found a few things that I wanted to share. Ooh, oh, I, think I have another like random one if you want. I think actually next year they will have another lead wearing glasses. <gasps> Yay! In a, in a, 
by the way, which is called Turning Red, and it's about a girl who turns into a giant red panda. So I'm hundred percent <gasps> in that film. Oh yeah, um, very excited about that. So just, just so you know, <laughs> first of all, this is the first time in a single year that Disney have had two animated films with female leads. So Raya the Last Dragon came out earlier in the year, mm. and Encanto. They had three films with Luca coming out in between, but for the first yeah. time, two films in a year had female leads and this is also this film for the first time has a female composer this is the first yes. Walt Disney animation studio with a female composer leading the music yes Jermaine Franco is the composer yeah. she worked with uh, Lin-Manuel obviously on on the I think as I understood it he wrote the songs and she <laughs> has done the the score and all of the um, like atmospheric music for the film. Do you know what's crazy is I think this is the 60th Walt Disney animation film. It is. This is their so, 60th animation. For this to be the first time they've had a female composer is nuts. But it is crazy. Exciting. It's crazy, but also it's great that we've they finally done it. Yeah. Um, and the choosing the best people for the job. Yeah. Clearly. I have another fun little weird fact that I oh. read, and it kind of made me laugh. I read an article that was talking about how Disney are um, now peddling an anti-Bruno agenda because obviously in this film uh, we meet Mirabel's uncle Bruno who is kind of ostracized by his family um, for various reasons which we'll we'll get into but then also in Luca which um, was the other animated film that Disney released this year the two little boys have this thing where when they like are nervous or they're scared or they don't want to do something, they say Silencio Bruno to get rid of the little voice in their head. <laughs> and so this article was kind of joking that Disney are now peddling an anti-Bruno agenda and how they feel sorry for people called Bruno because evidently Disney doesn't like Brunos. Clearly, clearly a Bruno has done someone wrong at Disney and they're having <laughs> taken it out on them. <laughs> Getting their revenge. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. So to briefly sum up the film uh, before we go into it um the film follows the family madrigal who all have special gifts and special talents except for a young girl called mirabel 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 who is the, the star of the show and it's about her dealing with her feelings about not having a special gift from her that when her family being a bit of an outcast a, a bit of a black sheep within that family and her relationship with them and her desire to be part of the family and what holds them together and where the magical powers truly lies and, and the she relationships goes on a mission to save her family's miracle yes she is to save the miracle um and whatever that might be good question <laughs> <laughs> indeed i think let's just get into the film then because yeah it's just gonna be easier to talk about all that kind of stuff than to yeah. just get around it so let's start with the plot as it's always a good place to start what what are your thoughts just on the general story of encanto i have a lot of problems with the plot and this is where my problems generally with this film begin and end so it's probably a good place to start get my ranting out and then i can be like and here's all the things i enjoyed <laughs> i just was very confused by the plot because the trailer makes it seem like mirabel is going to go on this big sort of like adventure to like find what you know like where the family miracle came from and how she's going to save it from the danger that she perceives that it's in and all of this. And 
as you're watching the film, it goes on and on and she's finding out more and more pieces of the puzzle. And then their house falls apart and then she hugs her abuela and then that's the end. And you're just kind of like, okay, what? <laughs> Where? So I've had a whole film of exposition and then I've had the ending. Where's my resolution? Where's my conflict? Where's all the bits that come in between? And so I had a lot of, yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed by the plot overall. I felt like there was going to be a bit more depth. I felt like there was going to be a bit more character development for Mirabelle. I felt like there was going to be a bigger kind of resolution, a bigger emotional payoff at the end. And there just kind of wasn't. It fell a little bit flat for me. I yeah, I think, I think one of the big points around the film is that it centers that the, the family get gifts when they come of age, age undefined. And when they come of age, the the miracle, the house, the candle, the thing that gives the family powers, will they give you a door which will represent an open unlock your powers, I guess. And the whole kind of centre of the film is the fact that Mirabel didn't get her power. Um, that never happened for her when she would come of age and it just sort of disappeared. And the film never explains why. And I did some reading on this and they said the reason they don't explain it is because that's not the point or the centre focus of the story. So it didn't need to be explained. When in actual fact, it did. (laughs) (laughs) Mirabel is the centre of the story. And we needed to know, even if it was at the end, even if it's that moment of revelation, that that kind of light bulb moment, we needed to know why. But in this film, I think she's 15 in the film. Mm-hmm. Why in 8 to 10 years? Why did she not have those powers? Why was she? And and what were her powers in the end? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really unclear. And I've been thinking about it and trying to sort of come up with my own explanation <laughs> for it, which makes no sense, seeing as the writers have said. There is no reason. Um, but... To me, at least, when when I kind of watched it back a a second time, um, and at the very end when Theo Bruno says to her, like, you are the gift, to me it kind of is almost as if Mirabelle is like the personification of the miracle of the gift that was given to their family. So that's why she didn't have a specific power or a specific gift like the rest of her family did. But that's me kind of jumping to my own conclusions and me having like thought about it as an adult yeah, as like, adults. For, yeah. yeah exactly and and having been thinking about this for like probably a week and a half now and especially because like the first the very first song in the film is is this whole kind of like welcome this is our town this is our family this is what everyone in the family can do and the kids in the village are like Mirabel, Mirabel, what's your gift what's your gift and then it's this really awkward moment of yeah I don't have one and so they they set it up as this big thing that like Mirabel doesn't have a gift and so you assume that she's gonna go she's gonna save the miracle from whatever danger it's in and then because she's saved the miracle that she's gonna finally get her gift and then that's not what happens at all. No, and I think there's no way you can expect a child to fill in the gaps of this. No. I mean, this is a Walt Disney animated film. It's aimed at children. And I, my understanding a little bit, I feel like, the, yeah, she, in the end of the film, she, her gift, because her door is in the house, becomes the house. Her, her gift is she is the miracle. 
it's inside her and she does say it in the second song waiting on a miracle that she wants to heal everybody and help people grow and like empathize with them and help them find the true source of their powers and grow them blah 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 blah. all that kind of stuff you would expect to happen and she tells you basically the plot of the film in that song um what's going to happen for the rest of the film (laughs) in that song shadowing cameron it's called i know i know but (laughs) with the benefit of hindsight we can see that is foreshadowing yeah and so i just yeah i but i feel like it's taken as multiple watchings and a few times to get this kid's gonna go like a child is not gonna be like oh let me think about the existentiality of what power she has or why she got those powers or where did the power come from or they'll be like that's rubbish what are her powers why didn't she get yeah. a power in the end they won't understand the kids watching this film are going to be exactly like the kids in the film who stand next to Mirabelle and go, "If I, I'd be so sad if I were you and I was in your family and I didn't have a gift. <laughs> or the ones that go, maybe your gift is being in denial. Like, that's what kids are going to think. They're not going to think on this high level. So that was a really weird part of the film. Absolutely. So with the plot, we've established that it's actually pretty weak as a whole story, as one complete story. I don't think this is the last we've seen of Encanto. Interesting. I feel like this is probably setting up something bigger. I could see it being something bigger. I definitely think it has the potential to do shorts. Mm. I can definitely see a lot of animated shorts or even like a small like series, like a Disney Plus series, kind of like how they did Doug Days out of Up. I can see them maybe doing like a small series based on each of the characters because there are so many characters in this film and obviously like it it centers around Mirabelle she's she's the protagonist but you've also got her um her tia Peppa you've got her mom her dad her cousins she's got three cousins she's got two sisters and each one of those characters has their own sort of and and her abuela as well so there's a there's a whole host of them they could so easily build a Disney Plus series that has sort of one like you know 10 minute episode around each person going about their day or solving a problem for someone in their town or something like that like it really does have an awful lot of potential there based on the whole family thing. Yeah and I think with such a large cast so many people get so little time to develop any sort of sense of self or yeah kind of abilities bar you know the songs that they might have which is a good time to talk about the songs and how they are probably the strongest part of this film yeah um, the music I've... is really where this film shines the I was just kind of reading about the the music and the the album is like top of all the charts everywhere <laughs> like it's top of the US charts it's like top streaming uh, on Spotify even uh, the number one trending music video has been we don't talk about Bruno it's also like one of the featured trends on TikTok so you wow. name a social media platform, Encanto is on there with its music. Like it is everywhere right now, including it's, both of our brains. <laughs> yes, it's a it, it's a slow burn, kind of like The Great Showman. Um, yeah. Because we watched it Christmas Eve. We watched it Christmas no, Eve. We watched it somewhere in Betwixtmas. Okay, so we watched it in in Betwixtmas, and we were like, "That's a bit rubbish." Story kind of let us down. We didn't feel very connected to it. And then on a random car trip, I put on pressure, mm-hmm. um, surface pressure on Spotify. And then we hit Don't Talk About Bruno, 
and that is basically all we've listened to now for two weeks don't talk about yeah. bruno and it's on repeat and many people we often know. just walk into the room and sing we don't talk about bruno to each oh, other just yeah. constantly all day long and yeah uh, that that song in particular i think is the big highlight of the film the the thing that's sweeping social media and and you know credit to where credit's due for lin-manuel miranda writing again another set of classical pieces of songs that'll be remembered for a long time man knows what he's doing like yeah we can argue it all we want and be like oh yeah again lin-manuel but he knows what he's doing he ironically does. we don't talk about bruno despite being obviously it seems like the most popular song from the film actually hasn't been put forward for best original song at the oscars they've put forward instead those Oruguitos, which is the the kind of like uh the song that is sung i think in the film it's in spanish over um when mirabel and is like watching the story of how her abuelo was killed and how her abuela found the house and found the miracle and that whole thing and the whole thing is about two butterflies and so they put but they put that one forward for the oscars because they thought that that would be the big sort of like crowd pleaser tearjerker of the film nope everyone just likes the song about the crazy uncle (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's uh, that's not going down how they thought has it Um, no it really hasn't (laughs) no yeah yeah don't like the songs are super strong Surface Pressure and Don't Hold Bruno are, you know, particularly really fun, good highlights. There's not many songs in the film, actually. There's no, quite there a... really isn't. The soundtrack's really short. Um, yeah. I mean, I went on a drive yesterday that I think the total journey took me 15 minutes and I listened to the whole film soundtrack on, on the drive. So it's, it's really not a very long... And considering this is the third longest Disney animation film. Yeah. Um, behind Rick, R- Ralph Breaks Incident and Fantasia. Wow. This is the third longest um, Disney animated film, That's and the soundtrack crazy. is guess, so short. Yeah, for for such a long, you know, comparatively such a long film, there isn't. It's it's really not that packed with with songs, but it but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it's lacking in any way. Mm. Um, especially the opening song is quite a long one um to kind of set everything up and that's that's got plenty of life in it um which is probably one of my favorites actually the opening song I really like that one and I think I think it's well paced in terms of it never feels like the song is there for no reason apart from maybe those sort of ethos which is ironic considering that you know the producer thought <laughs> that was going to be the big hit of the film for me I was like oh yeah this is pretty but like man whatever but the others all yeah they they all feel like they fit in the story really well it, it it never feels forced that the characters suddenly burst into song and are singing about whatever it is they're singing about and I think especially the, the two songs that um, Mirabelle's sisters sing so obviously Luisa sings Surface Pressure and then Isabel sings in Spanish it's called Inspiracion but I don't know what it's called in English oh in English it's called What Else Can I Do for each of those characters that's their songs are a real like growth journey for them it just contained in the one song and I think that's where like we were saying before this film has a lot of potential to possibly go further in lots of ways because a lot of other characters have the potential for that same level of growth that we see in Mirabel, but it's like condensed into, you know, a minute and a half or two minutes kind of thing. Yeah, those that that is a great point. You learn a lot about Louisa, for example, in Surface Pressure, like how she seems really strong and can do anything, but underneath it she feels worthless and that it's all surface. It's all kind of she's got to be able to do everything because that's what everyone expects. And that's a great segue for us to talk about the characters themselves. Although we don't have a lot of 
time to get to know most of them they all have an individual song basically where you learn a bit about them but i want to start talking about the true villain of the story who was you know your film is only as good as your villain and that in my humble opinion the villain of this story is abuela yeah i agree and i think going off of what we were just talking about i think surface pressure is the song that actually kind of reveals that abuela is the villain because luisa talks about how she feels like there's a line where she says, like, I'm, I worry that um, I'm worthless if I can't be of service. Mm. And it kind of, you know, is relating to this, this idea that um, Abuela wants the family to use their gifts to help the community. But she's obviously taken it a little bit too far and has put too much pressure on the, on the family and the children that their, their worth is only what they can do for other people, which isn't obviously true but that's kind of how they all feel and that's again mirrored in how Abuela like essentially like disowns Mirabel when Mm. she goes to open her door and she doesn't get her gift and then for the whole rest of the film and as Mirabel's a teenager Abuela is just like oh you're just in the way please go away like you're not doing anything useful. Yeah I mean she she keeps Mirabel in the nursery her whole life like and if you look at throughout you can see it more and more as how poorly she treats all her family um her daughter, oh, let me get the, the names up because I can't. The one who can do control the weather? Peppa. Yeah, Peppa. Peppa. Yeah, so like when Peppa has an emotion, any emotion, a brother tells her off for that emotion. Cloud Peppa. Like, oh, Peppa, you're ruining the flowers with the tornado. Yeah. Like, she's allowed to feel things. She's allowed to know? feel things and stop, like, stop telling her yeah. all the time. And, you know, and, and there's all those different things throughout where she you know, she's basically forcing her her granddaughter into an arranged marriage. Clearly, Isabella is not feeling it, Mm-mm. but she's got this pressure to be perfect and to be great and always always there and always right and, you know, always great. And, and so she has to get married for the family. Yeah. And she doesn't listen. And, and I, I, you know, the, the emotional story behind this is about, you know, listening to each other, finding those gifts inside you and, and all that sort of stuff that comes with... Um, kind of supporting your family members and supporting them regardless of their ability regardless of what they're doing accepting them them for who they are they are and allowing them to be themselves and yeah it's really interesting that abuela just does not care she's just like nope i'm in charge you do what i do i don't care about your feelings your emotions you're doing what we're doing to serve these people but I think it's nice that, in a way, Abuela does get her redemption, which is, I think, quite rare for, for Disney villains. Well, certainly for villains as a whole, but I feel like for Disney villains, it's, it is quite rare that they get a redemption like this. Because at the end of the film, when we get to the, the kind of reconciliation, Abuela realises that she's been the one kind of like pushing her family too hard and that she she admits, you know, I was so concerned with... Um, possibly losing our home again that I forgot or I you know I I got too caught up and I didn't think about my family and and how I can look after my family and how I can protect my family and then she works with Mirabel to build a new home you know apologizes for how she's made her feel and so she does kind of get that redemption at the end which is nice yeah I think that's a great this might be reading way too much into it a great social commentary in that yeah we should be forgiving people for mistakes exactly um being quite a little bit political here there's there's you know the 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 trope of cancer culture you do one thing wrong one time and that's it you deserve to just be gone from the face of anything where we need to be looking at 
forgiveness and education okay you've done wrong you've pushed us to breaking point we've broken and you know the, the whole point is um Mirabel recognizes that Abrella is kind of that way because she had to protect and build this family alone and it was very scary for her and she was just she's gone too far in trying to be protective and trying to repay what what happened to her and yeah she's done wrong and she's made mistakes but Mirabel doesn't go well you're still evil and you kept me in a nursery and you still hated me for a long time. And she's because gone. I've realised this, I'm going to banish you from the family. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah take that, <laughs> Justice. No, she's <laughs> instead she has gone, that's great. Okay, let's fix it. Let's just move on. Let's learn from this, Abuela. Like, yeah. Let's make a better society, a better culture, a better family for ourselves. Yeah. And I think that is a real good message to be given across that someone might be bad, but that's not all they are and they can grow and learn and develop and help educate them. Especially it's interesting that the villain is a very clearly older generation versus the current generation and that it does take the younger generation to open their eyes, but they work together to, you know, to, to move forward. Exactly. And I think what's important to note about that and, and that concept as, as a point of social commentary is that, both Mirabel and Abuela have to go through that process of understanding the other person's position, of understanding the experiences that brought them to where they are and why that's led them to make the decisions that they've made. And then accepting, OK, I understand why you did that. It wasn't the best decision to make, but that's OK. I forgive you because you've apologised and I forgive you because I love you and we're going to move forward together. And so it's not, you know, one person saying, it's not Mirabel going to Abuela and being like, Abuela, I've solved it all. I see how you did it all wrong and I'm going to fix it. They do it together. And that's, I think, the, the key point with that as well. I just remembered what I forgot earlier yeah. um, in the description is yeah. that in the writing, it's really interesting that they kind of play on the joke of the whole like Disney trope when she when Mirabel decides after she sees the cracks whether that was a vision or whether that happened, I'm not, not quite sure, um, during Antonio's ceremony. She's like, I'm going to save the miracle. And she does like that, get ready. <laughs> and then she's like, wait, how do I save a miracle? And so many <laughs> Disney films before would have just had her, her like setting off into the sun, going on a really long walk, going, I'm going to save a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> and this time it's like, wait, how does a 15-year-old save a miracle? They have no idea what to do. And the yeah. house is like, yeah, I don't know, good one. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna do? <laughs> I, I like. There are times that the script and the story is really funny and really kind of yeah, but it's still a weak plot. But the, the it's really interesting the the film. The individual elements are great. Yeah. The, the casting, the music, the the visuals. It's a stunningly beautiful film. It's really funny. I feel like it's really, you know, really well designed and it has all the individual elements, has that like heart, that moment when you learn about Abuela's story and the, the sadness of, of her losing her husband and building the family and all sorts of things. But when it's put all together, it doesn't work. Just something didn't click. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels unfinished. But individually, it feels great. And it's like one of the best ever. And that's really kind of difficult to to marry up it's like how do we get this good good elements but all together it hasn't worked it was felt really kind of like half done half baked sort of kind of result which I found I think it's interesting 
Yeah, it is. It's interesting. And I was I was reading something about this, actually, because Lin-Manuel was um, involved in, in the development um, of Moana. I think he was one of the writers involved in that as well. Um, and in an interview, he talked about how originally Moana had eight brothers and then the like higher up and um, execs and that Disney cut them all out because they said there's no way we're going to be able to adequately develop a plot around that many key characters. And so when they kind of came up with the concept for Encanto, he already knew he was like, they're going to push back. They're going to want us to cut back on the characters, but we can't do that because the whole like La Familia is the central concept of this film. And I wonder if that maybe is part of it, that it they tried to give possibly too much character development to too many different people and didn't actually focus on the, like the, the, the plot, the storyline that threads it all together in the very middle. Because all, like you said, all those little individual threads and the little pieces are brilliant. But when you try to put it, it's like when you do a recipe and then you've put it all together and you put it in the oven and it just hasn't baked quite right because your flour was a, gone off. I don't know. <laughs> Terrible analogy, but I think you get what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it, the issue is with La Familia being the centre, it still should be Mirabelle. She's the character that the audience, the kids specifically, are meant to relate to. She's the the unordinary one, right? The whole point, I think, of her character is the one that, that the audience relates to is she's the unordinary doing the extraordinary, you know? And, and that's why she's able to cope with the breakdown of the family more because the family, when, when the family break down and the, and the house collapses and the magic disappears, the family can't cope because they're not used to being around non-magic she is and she's fine she you know she has a a moment but and you know when they come back to the house and like what do we do it's just like we build it up we build it with a better foundation because she's so used to holding herself she's, up without the she's need of the her only magic. one in the family who knows how to be who she is without having a gift because so many of the other family members i feel their identity relies on their their gift and you kind of get the get the feeling that like obviously Mirabelle's not the only one technically without a gift because her two her dad and her uncle who married mm-hmm. into the family don't have gifts either but I think they relied so much on the gifts of their spouses they just became part of it that way whereas Mirabelle is very much out on her own she's the only you know grandchild who doesn't have a gift and so she's had to figure out by herself how to cope without it and how to be who she is without relying on I'm the strong one or I'm the perfect one or I'm the one who does this or does that and so that's why she's able to cope when it seems like that's taken away from them yeah and I think they needed to make Mirabelle and her journey a bit more of the focus to kind of fix this because we never learn or it's given to the audience the chance to interpret themselves why she didn't get a gift but it's because it's just a whole new world we don't have enough information to know why or you know what more about the miracle and so yeah making because I do I do feel that even if they hadn't have clarified about why she didn't have a gift you know like we said we kind of have come to our own conclusions about that and when you think about it it's like yes if that's not the key point of the film then the key point of the film is this concept of the miracle which again was just incredibly vague and really wasn't explained very well um, See, i i thought it was in, in my head the miracle is a mother's love so when you see the flashback of what actually happens to abuela um when her husband sacrifices himself to save her and the village she she screams or she cries with the children in her arms and the candle almost reacts to that 
and Mirabelle's mum says at some point, oh, I didn't heal you with my magic, I healed you with the love of my daughter, for my daughter. And so in my head, my interpretation was that the miracle was born from um, the love of a mother for like her husband yeah. and the, like, the, the need of that. But again, it's not explicit. It's not given any indication as to what it could be. And, and that's, yeah. I think, we're left, we're left trying to fill in too many gaps. Yeah, I think they should have picked one thing to be more specific about either they needed to have a resolution where you know Mirabelle saves the miracle and then gets her own gift or there needed to be a better explanation of what the miracle was and how Mirabelle could still use it or benefit from it or whatever there should have been one of those two things should have been more clear and then I think it would have been less kind of weird as a as an overarching plot yeah absolutely with the animation, I do know that this is using what's it called? This is using Maestro and Hyperion. Maestro, Maestro. Uh, and a Hyperion. So it's the first Disney film to use a new animation and rendering system, which Ooh. is why it looks so kind of vibrant. And I guess it's HD Ultra 4K HD kind of rendering for for animation, which is why it looks so vibrant and so kind of sharp and snappy. But, you know, Disney are the premium when it comes to animation films. They are they are the benchmark yeah. for everyone to try and reach to. So the animation is stunning and great and fluid. And I think visually as well, it's a, it's a really beautiful film. It's so full of colour and so full of life. It, it's just gorgeous. It, it's gorgeous to watch. Um, I've seen so many, like, fan art things of, of the characters, of the Casito, of, of the Encanto, like the, the little village that they live in. It's yeah, it's a it's a really beautiful, um, a really beautiful film. Yeah, yeah, it it's it's what you come to expect from a Disney animated film yeah, these days. Exactly. They are, they are the the epitome of of great animation. It's it's interesting because I I definitely do think it's a step up from Luca. Hmm. We were very late to the game with Luca. Like <laughs> we we only watched Luca about two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. We, so I think we we kind of have a direct comparison on it. Obviously, it is a slightly different style of animation. This is. This is obviously a Disney film, but it, to me, it's a very classic, like Pixar style of animation. It, you know, Mirabelle has the, you know, the typical like big, big eyes and that kind of thing. Whereas Luca was a very different style. Um, mm. It was almost more, almost more like stop animation in Luca, the way that they moved and, and that kind of thing. So maybe it's not fair to compare them, but in terms of like just vibrancy and, and visual kind of interest for me Encanto is a massive step up from where Luca was and maybe that was intentional I don't know but if I had to choose between the two visually Encanto wins it by miles for me yeah I mean they are different styles for sure because I know I mean if you look at just the faces whilst they all all have the characteristic big eyes Luca is a bit more cartoony that the humans are a bit more like you know these like huge round chins and very stylistically cartoon like where Encanto goes for the more semi-realistic portion. as realistic as Disney usually as, is with their human animation <laughs> yeah but it's way more realistic if you compare the characters yeah. of Encanto to these guys that's way more realistic um so it is very different so it is difficult to to compare but yeah that also might just be the new system allowing them greater influences and abilities to do different things so we'll have to see I have to see um what you know the next set of films they produced Mm -hmm. how that compares and and whether it does make a big difference or not yeah so with that let's move to critics corner 
Critics Corner. Um, I need, I need whole, a jingle. Need a jingle to, to, we, do, you, we would need a jingle to, for if anyone, Corner. If anyone's listening, it feels up to... <laughs> Listeners, write into the podcast. <laughs> No, in, in all the honesty, if you are listening, do let me know if you feel like you've got the kill, the capabilities and skills to make a jingle for Critics Corner. We would love to hear some ideas. And um, who knows, you could be featured or maybe many people could be featured. And it's like a rolling jingle thing. We've got more than one submission. If we get one submission, I'll be in, I'll be impressed. So, um, yes, Critics <laughs> Corner. That's a great idea. <laughs> you will have rolling submissions. <laughs> yeah, I live in hope. With... The critical response how are we finding the critical response to Encanto? Uh, on the whole it is quite positive um, Metacritic has it at a 76 on its meta score the user score is a mm-hmm. 7 um, on Rotten Tomatoes it's got a 93% audience score so it's much higher on um, on Rotten Tomatoes and... and 91 on critics score on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes it's almost like dead set like people really like this film yeah. yeah, and it's a 7.3 out of 10 um, on IMDb based on close to 70,000, um, 70K reviews. So, yeah, on the whole, quite a popular film. Um, I feel like it would take a lot for Disney to release a film that majorly, majorly flopped. Yes. You know, tip, we might complain about it, but let's be real. Disney know what they're doing. They're good at what they do. They make fantastic films. They just feel good. They're simple. They make you happy. So yeah, it seems to be performing pretty well. Yeah, it it really it does seem to be doing pretty good. Just looking at what I else. Also, well, I know that lots of I've seen lots of people posting about it on social media, saying that they've watched it over Christmas, that their kids are loving it, that their kids are singing their songs around the house, and that they're wanting to watch it again and again. So yeah, it certainly seems to be a hit, both you know in the online reviews and with just you know our social circle so yeah this could be the next big um frozen almost no, maybe not quite to the scope oh no i think it might um, be our friend who has a three-year-old whose previous obsession was frozen and got lots of frozen themed presents for christmas has now watched Encanto, and Encanto seems to be the new obsession now oh <laughs> so, so it could well it could well reach <laughs> bad time bad timing there for, for Disney. <laughs> yeah right yeah, for the kid um yeah so this is this is this is going big and you know it's it's a good film though i do caveat and i'll say this i'll say this in my summary that i think as an adult it probably only gets good after your kids force you to watch it more than once (laughs) because i feel like if you watch it on your own as an adult you'll kind of go that was a bit that was fine that was fine the story's a bit weird but when when you you have a child like we do, and sometimes you put on movies just to keep them going towards the end of the day, um, you know every parent we've done it. Don't worry, every parent's <laughs> done it. No judgment here. You'll you'll learn to kind of get in with it. And as you listen to the music, Bruno will not leave your brain. I'm sorry, just be careful. If you've not listened to Don't Talk About Bruno yet, don't, because it'll never stop. No, um, because it's a brilliant song. <laughs> just be aware. I, that you're going to sing it for the rest of your life. <laughs> I do want to point out, I saw this in Rotten Tomatoes, I just have to say it because it's really funny. Um, Jake Wilson from The Age in Australia, a critic on who reviewed it on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> this is genuinely, genuinely the, the bit that, that Rotten Tomatoes show of his review. It says, right away, there are too many human characters here and not enough jokes. <laughs> not enough what? Jokes. <laughs> I just... <laughs> 
Yeah, flipping humans ruining movies all the time. Gosh dang it. I hate it when that I mean, happens. I hate we it do ruin most things, oh, in fairness. I hate it when humans get involved and ruin everything. So it's the worst. Um and I'm hoping, I'm really hoping Disney because I'm sure Lynn Manuel, you probably are listening to this. I'm sure you never miss an episode. Um <laughs> if you guys have made a behind the scenes kind of making of Encanto. Yes. I'd oh, love to please. see it. I I <sighs> genuinely want to see behind the scenes of all Disney films yeah it was eye-opening for Frozen 2 as to why that mo- that movie was just so bad and but it explains the plot holes in Frozen 2 so maybe if they did and, and it's also like Canto, we would understand the plot holes maybe so I think every Disney film needs to have a making of to release from Disney Plus. That's why you've got a streaming service. Give us, give the people <laughs> what they want. Give us the content we came here for. <laughs> um. So with that, I feel like we should summarize our our thoughts and give a score. So, as the guests, would you like to go first? Yeah, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, like you said, when we watched it the first time, I was very much like, "Nah, that was fine." Why was everyone so excited about it? It was all right. You probably won't watch that again. And then within three days, I had the soundtrack on repeat, bopping around the kitchen, making dinner. And I was like, man, Encanto's a great film. What was I thinking? And so the more that I've listened to the soundtrack and the more that I've watched it, I've liked it. And so it's a real grower, I think, for me. It's heartwarming. It's visually beautiful to watch. It's very vibrant. It's lots of fun. It makes me laugh. It makes me happy. It's a nice sort of lighthearted Disney film. So on the whole, I enjoyed it. And so for that reason, I am going to give it an eight. An eight? Yeah. Wow, okay. Maybe I'm too generous. I don't know. You go. I just, you do I just think because, because the fun. music is so catchy and you know music is a big thing for me. Like if the music is rubbish in a film, I'm out from, from the get-go. And the music was so good in this film. I feel like even though it had really significant plot issues that made me actually not like it in the beginning, the more that I've listened to the soundtrack, the more that I'm a bit like, that's okay because I can go and listen to them sing we don't talk about Bruno and I can dance around my kitchen and have a great time with the soundtrack and so even though it lost points for plot issues it gained points back for great music okay cool great well that you know eight that's your opinion that's totally fine we don't judge here I feel like you're gonna give it like a four (laughs) the only time this is spoilers if you've not listened to a Spider-Man review then Block your ears for 10 seconds. The only time I've judged is when Dan did not give Spider-Man a 9. Okay. <laughs> That's when I judged. So. And he gave it an 8.5. So it's not like he was even being really, really harsh about it. He should have given it a 9. Okay. <laughs> so my, my, thought, my thoughts on Encanto. Yes, it is a visually beautiful film. The songs are a real grow. And I think this film is a real slow burn. Bearing in mind, it came out a month and a half ago it's now picking up in popularity so it, it really is a is a slow burn it's really really interesting though the plot is really a bit jumbled up a bit um oddly paced too slow in the beginning too quick towards the middle and end and it can be confusing and considering this is aimed at children i'm sure children have no idea what's going on by the end because of i didn't as an adult who've watched many films so it does it does feel a little bit there but Music is great, really catchy, and I can see this having life afterwards. I can see this having, you know, like you said, a, a Disney short series based on each character or an Encanto 2 or something coming up that, that expands the universe. I don't think this is the last we've seen of it, but I gave it a score initially when we watched it in December, 
and mm. it has gone up a little bit just a teeny tiny bit since i haven't watched it again since i've watched half of it today with xander just to refresh my knowledge before we recorded this episode but i'm going to give it a 6.9 that's very low no it's not it's almost also, a why give it a 6.9 just give it the seven like why because are you talking because of a point because the plot is too weak i think it just overarching course there's too much missing or uh, maybe i'm being harsh i think you're being a, a little harsh giving it a 6.9 <laughs> you think i should give it a seven if you have that many issues give it a 6.5 if you don't want it to be a seven. Initially, initially it was my first viewing of it was 6.6. <laughs> so after two weeks of singing the soundtrack incessantly, you've waxed it up a whole point three of a point. You generous, uh, generous man. Uh, I'll bend to the will of my wife and give it a seven. I feel that that's a more accurate representation of your feelings right. on the matter. Okay. Uh, I've been told what my feelings are. Thanks, Abuela. <laughs> And um, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Um, so let us I just remember something new we're going to try this year is every episode we're going to try either a question or a poll from Spotify. We're going to try. We're going to try. OK, so, um, yeah, every episode we're going to try and get a little bit more engagement with us on the podcast make you part of the conversation as the listeners and so on Spotify this is a very specific Spotify even though that's not our biggest platform you can listen to us on spotify you can get involved we're going to try and post either a question or a poll on each episode or both depending if the episode's really engaging so ashton you have a poll that you want to give our listeners to respond to yes so we want to know which song from encanto was your favorite so we'll add it to the episode spotify um so you can find us on spotify critics add a bus and then when you scroll down from the episode description you'll be able to see the poll and you can vote and tell us which song was your favorite what one are you going to vote for cam i don't want to influence anybody but probably don't talk about bruno what about you i'm so torn because my brain just constantly flips between singing we don't talk about bruno and the family madrigal and i love them both so much but i feel like i might have to pick bruno just because it's just so sassy and i love it so much (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes so look out for that poll and the question we're going to pose to you is what do you think Mirabel's power or gift is if you watch the film let us know your thoughts um, and if you do we might post some on our Facebook and Instagram stories um, some of your answers um, that'll be really fun so please please do engage with us also on Spotify you can now rate podcasts so please please give us a rating we'd love for you to give us five stars please 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 that would be really really helpful five stars obviously but that would be nice (laughs) we are we are worth five stars so (laughs) please rate us five stars and um with this episode do like and do share or share with your friends and family that you've listened to this and that woo ashing is rating the episode right now the podcast just the podcast yeah ashing is uh, rating the podcast right now um so yeah do like and and share the podcast with your friends and family. We'd love for this year to be the best year of um, Critics of the Bus so far. And your support means everything to me and all the wonderful guests we've had on so far and we'll have on through 2022. And with that, I think that is the end of the episode. Yeah, a good way yeah. to start the year. 
Yeah. Well, thank you very much for reviewing Encounter with me, Ash. Thank you for letting me do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this latest episode of Critics on a Bus. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for updates on more episodes. And we'll see you in the next one.